Proverbs chapter 15. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Proverbs chapter 15. And you know, this week, as we've had so much going on here at the church, of course, with Bible school, and we had a tremendous, tremendous time, I was reminded of uh, how blessed we are to have the workers and the volunteers that we do here in this church to, to be able to pull off things like Bible school. And I realize sometimes they go the extra mile for us. This week, uh, my five-year-old son, Rhett, was here at Bible school, and he uh, came down the hall with Miss Sally, and I noticed he was holding something in the bag, a little Ziploc bag, and he got to me, and he began smiling, and I could tell there was something missing there in his mouth, and that in the Ziploc bag there was a tooth, and it was his first tooth. And I, I looked at him, and I said, Rhett, I said, good man. I said, you pulled your tooth, and everything went, yes, yes. And it was loose, yes, yes, yes. He said, well, actually... It, it got loose, he said, after I tackled my teacher. <laughs> you tackled your teacher? Yes, he, I tackled, it became loose, and then I wiggled it the rest of the way out, he said. I have a new appreciation of teachers here at Temple Baptist Church. And just, I, I, in Deacon's meeting this morning, I just reminded them again, you know the reason the preacher's kids are like they are. Because they play with the deacon's kids all the time, and you see them. <laughs> Can't help. But I appreciate all who helped this week. It was a wonderful time for us to be able to come together and, um, and really celebrate God's work, even in our families and in our children. It was a wonderful time, so I appreciate you coming. You know, we, we have all kinds of ways we communicate today. I mean, communication, it, it seems like, is the key word in our culture. I mean, we want to stay in touch. We want to stay in touch so much that we're usually carrying around something we believe will always help us stay in touch. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen one of these babies lately? All that you can do with this? I mean, think about it. I mean, just a few years ago, we didn't have anything that had such capability that we could carry around with us. I mean, my cell phone, look, somebody's sending me a message now. You should be in church. You should be in church now. I ought to look and see if it's one of you doing this or so, but you, you can stay in touch all the time. You, you can send text messages. You can send emails now on the phone. You can send Facebook messages. You can check your Twitter account. You can all kinds of ways. You, you, and they, stu they do still call people, too. <laughs> you still can call with these phones. So there are all kinds of ways that we can communicate and we can stay connected. And yet, with all of this new technology, I would suggest to you that we still have as much problems, if not more, communicating with one another today than we've ever had before. Even though we've got all the technology in the world to stay connected, we still have challenges in communicating with one another. And as I read through the book of Proverbs, I see several, several hints, several principles, I guess you would call them, that help us inform our communication skills and help us that we may communicate effectively. As I came across Proverbs chapter 15 in particular, you see, I think, four principles there in just those few verses that speak, that, 
that help us as we communicate with one another in our relationships. And I want to share those four principles with you today. As we look at them, beginning in verse 1, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. There are at least four principles of communication I think that you find in those verses. Look in verse 1, for example. In verse 1, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath. So I'm going to wade out into this right here in the beginning, and I'm going to give you this first principle. Just write it down just like I tell it to you, okay? First principle of communication that we can learn from Proverbs 15, 1. Be a softy. Be a softy. Now, some of you already look at me and say, all right, sermon's over. Had enough of this message today. He just told me that I'm supposed to be a softy. And some of you guys in particular looked at me and said, there's not a soft bone in this body. I'm a hard guy. I can take it. I'm not even beginning to listen to that idea of being a softy. Let me explain a little bit of what I mean by this as we look at verse 1. In verse 1 it says, a soft answer turns away wrath. But note the second part of it. A harsh word stirs up anger. And if you look in verse 18 of the same chapter, you'll notice again this idea that a wrathful man, it says, stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. In other words, the writer of Proverbs says this. If you're, if you're in the moment of contention, if you're in the moment where it seems like this argument could be elevated and you decide to respond with a harsh word, or you decide to respond with with some type of anger, guess what's going to happen? That argument is just going to take another step. It's going to be elevated to a different level. That's what the writer of Proverbs says. For example, you're at work. Your boss comes to you and says, Jim, I don't like the job that you're doing right now. There are all kinds of ways to respond to that, right? Let's say that Jim looks at his boss and says, Well, you know what? You're probably right. I haven't done a very good job because you know what? You haven't done a very good job. I mean, you're not running this business the way I thought it should be. If you would have done this and you would have... How do you think the boss will respond? In kind. You see... He says that what happens is that this harsh word can stir up strife. It can stir up anger. And what's interesting here is that word for stir up is the same idea of offering up, like as in a burnt offering. So instead of starting a fire, 
in order to uh, a fire of commitment or consecration. Basically, what you're starting is a fire of contention. That's what he says. Instead of starting a fire of commitment or consecration as you would with a burnt offering, what you are doing is starting a fire of contention. And it's going to be worse for you in the end. That's what the writer of Proverbs says. So get that first part of uh, verse 1 again. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath. And the word answer encompasses much more than just a simple answer to a question. It means the response as we have in different kinds of conversations. It can, it can be more general in its context in the way we approach individuals, in the way we approach people. A soft answer. Sometimes when people come and, and they are ready to just lambast you. I mean, they are ready to just take you to the mat. And you know they are. You can, you can sense it within them. A soft answer will turn away that wrath that they intended for you. Classic example in my life. I was at Pine Grove Baptist Church in Picayune. And uh, we had a man there that I loved. He was the patriarch of the church. He was the custodian. He was the Sunday school teacher, uh, Sunday school director. He was the church treasurer. He was a trustee. Let me just tell you, he did it all. He was the patriarch, and I loved him. We had a great relationship while we were there. I actually named my son Hayes after him. I loved him so much. And in five years of being there, he basically... He and I didn't have much of an argument. Now, he had arguments with other people, but usually we could get it before we had any kind of argument. But I remember one time, one time that he was very disappointed in me. Only one time. And you know what it was over? Super Bowl Sunday. (laughs) There wasn't a whole lot of theological issue around it as much as it was a practical issue. I remember, just like it was yesterday, that I was standing behind the, at, behind the church, and he was there, and we were discussing some things, and he looked at me and he said, ah, let me ask you something. What, what, about this, what about this Super Bowl Sunday? We have always moved it to 4 o'clock, the evening service, because we want to be home for Super Bowl. But 4 o'clock, we've always done that. And this time I noticed we're doing it at 6 And I thought, I am about to experience the wrath of Mr. One Hayes Laverne Stewart. But I I looked at him and I said, I think it was in the time when I had read this passage and I was working through and I looked at him and I said, well, you know, Mr. Laverne, I'm sorry, I didn't realize it was a big deal. And, you know, six o'clock, I mean, I'm going to be here. I didn't really care to watch the Super Bowl that evening because Ole Miss wasn't going to be in it and uh, <laughs> didn't care to care to be there watching it. So anyway, I, I just, we just left it at six. I didn't think it was that big a deal. And all of a sudden you could see that that wrath that seemed to be there on the edge all of a sudden just kind of settled in and it was turned away. And, and, and you know what I said? I said, wow, this stuff works. Now, we know, I mean, it's the Scripture, it's the Word of God. We know that, but 
Isn't it amazing when we actually practice what God tells us to do and we see God honor that? I'm not saying that it that there won't be people that will continue in their own way and be harsh, but I'm saying to you that just as every proverb is a general truth, that generally speaking, a soft answer will turn away wrath. Become a softy. Be gentle on the outside. That doesn't mean you have to compromise your convictions. You can still hold to your convictions, and you should. There should be a solid middle in all of us. There should be a place where our convictions just hold us and, and, and place us exactly where we need to be. But then we can still be gentle with other individuals. I think of Jesus. Even as he was facing these different charges, First Peter chapter 2 speaks this of Christ's example. It says in verse 21 of that second chapter, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Jesus Christ, who knew his purpose, who was committed to it, who was had a core of conviction, this Jesus was willing to trust the Father who was above, and he was willing to respond in a gentle manner to other individuals. So I think there's something in this. I think that there is a call for many of us, for more of us, to become softies. Yes, convictions inside, but that we are gentle in our relationships and in our communication with one another. Verse 2. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. And verse 7. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. In this verse, you, these verses, you find, I think, a second principle. It's, it's a principle that you've heard many other times, and maybe you haven't connected it directly with the Scripture, but you've heard this before. The second principle would be this. Think before you speak. Did you hear me? Think before you speak. Well, shouldn't, I mean, don't we all do that? Not always. I'm not sure we always measure the content and the impact of our words. Words can have such meaning and words can have such impact upon individuals. They really can. It, within words themselves, you can find pain and you can find blessing. We ought to think before we speak. Isn't that what he's saying in verse 2? The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. That you think about it and you use knowledge rightly when you are speaking. The, the mouth of fools, it just that mouth just pours forth foolishness, it says. I had a lady one time 
tell me, Brother Reggie, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't think before I speak. I said, well, that's pretty self-evident, right? I mean, you, obviously to you it is self-evident. I think most of us. Well, why do you not do that? Well, that's just the way I am. I just say whatever is, comes to my mind at that moment. Don't think it through much. I just, speak, I just say what comes to my mind. I want to say, well, you got to start somewhere, so don't say what just comes to your mind initially. Think about it. Use knowledge in what you say. Measure your speech. Now, I hear some people say things like this. Well, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. It's my personality. Well, there are some people who are personalities, who are characters. I understand that. And all of us have different tendencies. All of us have different... I know all of that. But I also believe that Christ redeemed us, and he did not redeem us to leave us where we are. He redeemed us to make a difference in our lives. And he wants to make a difference in the way we speak to other individuals and the way we use knowledge with other individuals. He wants to be able to work in our lives and give us so much self-control that we can think before we speak. I mean, we use oftentimes the personality as the excuse in the way we communicate with one another. But that, I think, is a wrong excuse to use. Think about if we were to use this example. Let's say the adulterer would come. And they would, the adulterer would say something like this. Well, you know, this is just who I am. It's my personality. It's my desire. It's, my, it, it's, it's just who I am. Most of us would say, sorry, buddy. That is not a good excuse. This is not what God would have you to do. God wants to grow you, and he wants to work in your life to bring forth purity. Most of us would agree with that, right? Well, isn't it the same when you're talking about our communication and our language and our speech? Is it not the same that God wants to grow us in the way we communicate with one another and that we would actually think before we speak, that here it says that we're to use knowledge. Look in verse 4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. This really captures, I think, the impact and significance words can have upon individuals. So let me give you this third principle. And your mama told you this. You didn't realize that it was kind of a biblical principle, but your mama told you this. You know what I'm going to say. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. Right? Notice again, verse 4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in its in it breaks the spirit. He says that a healing tongue, as some would translate it, a healing tongue is like a tree of life. It is where you find life. 
but it is the perverse tongue that breaks or crushes the spirit. That crushes the spirit. So in other words, you need to be careful of the words that you are using. When you use words, you are hoping that they are good and that they are wholesome and that they are bringing life to other individuals. Not crushing people's spirits. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. This just echoes for me what James would say about the power of the tongue is that death and life are found in the tongue. That the tongue has a specific power about it. You can bring blessing, you can bring life to individuals, or you can bring brokenness and death to individuals and things that you say. So as we are thinking through what we're going to say, we should measure out whether or not this is good and appropriate and that it is going to build individuals... In their kingdom walk. What if you don't have anything good to say? And you don't say anything at all. Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. <laughs> it's a good way of saying there's a moment to remain silent there's a moment that if you don't have anything good if you you need to just not say anything and when you do have something good then you should share it in other people's lives that they might come to a blessing that they might come to experience life itself i love the way solomon puts this word in proverbs 12:25 in Proverbs 12, 25, he says, Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. He says that there are some individuals that are experiencing anxiety, even depression in their lives. He said there are some people that are just going through a lot, they're experiencing that. But notice he says here that within the power of a word, in the power of an encouragement, there is renewal and gladness and joy. How awesome is it for fellow believers to encourage one another, to be able to encourage one another in their walk of faith, for individuals to help one another and to help them experience the gladness and the joy of Christ. I'm going to say to us that we as believers, when we speak, when we um, share things from our lives, somehow it should convey life to other people who are around us. We should be individuals speaking with a wholesome, healing tongue that other individuals can experience in their lives. So I say to you, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say it at all. Number four, fourth principle. I think you find it really rooted in verses seven and eight. It says, the lips of the wise 
disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. Look in verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. I just would suggest this to you. A fourth principle. Get real. Get real with other people, but get real especially with God. Where do you get that? Well, again, in verse 8, it says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Note, it's speaking about how here you have a sacrifice that is offered to God. People are offering sacrifices to God, but in reality, in their heart and in their lives, there's wickedness. So they're going through the motions of presenting to God these sacrifices, but they're not really serving him. Again, Proverbs 21, and you've seen this time and time again, how Proverbs will repeat and speak about some of the same themes. In Proverbs 21, 27, it says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with wicked intent? That the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. God is not into pretense with us. God wants us to get real, I think, with one another and also get real with him. He doesn't want us going around trying to portray something that we are not. Some of his, some of his heaviest criticisms were of the Pharisees, of people who would look one way and they would act another way. They might look beautiful. But there were nothing more, he said, than whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, but full of death on the inside. And here he says, there are people that are coming to me and they're bringing sacrifices. And, and yet their heart is still wicked in its intent. He says, you need to, you need to get real. And I think for us in our relationships and in all of our communication with one another, there's a sense of us getting real with one another. It's not about pretense. It's not about trying to uh, put on some type of facade. But we are supposed to be real with one another and especially real with him. And what he wants more than anything is our obedience, is our authentic Worshipful response. It's over in, I think, 1 Samuel. That Samuel comes before King Saul. Remember the story? He comes before King Saul after this great battle. King Saul was supposed to have, he was supposed to have destroyed everything. All of the Amalekites and their possessions and their properties. And Samuel walked up before King Saul and greeted King Saul. And King Saul was basically very proud of what he had done. He said, look at, look at what we had achieved and how obedient we have been. And, and, and you remember Samuel said something like, well, if you're so obedient... Why do I hear the lowing of cattle and the bleeding of sheep? What is this that I hear? If you've been so obedient, what in the world do I hear? And King Saul looked and he said, Well, you know, 
We, we did almost, you know, we did almost everything we were, so we, we didn't destroy everything because we had some plans. We, we, wanted to, we wanted to sacrifice these. And then that seminal, significant quote. Samuel looked at him and said, Obedience is better than sacrifice. Any day with God. Obedience, true, authentic obedience is better than sacrifice. I think what God says to us in our relationships with one another and with him is that we ought to just get real. Not go through the motions, just simply the motions of worship and act as though we were worshiping, but that we are to come with sincere, obedient, authentic hearts to worship him. Now look at this. If we, be, if we become softies, if we think before we speak, if we decide in our hearts that if there's nothing good to say, that we won't say anything at all, if we decide we're going to get real with one another and get real especially with God, can you see how the lines of communication in our earthly relationships and with our heavenly relationship, how those lines of communication would open and be much more vibrant. People have said that communication is the lifeblood of any relationship. If you can't communicate, it's hard for any relationship to grow. Some of us in our family life, we understand that. In our marriages, we know that. We know that if you can't communicate, it is very difficult for that relationship to be what it should be. And so it is with Christ itself, that relationship. If we do not communicate with him, then that relationship cannot truly grow. So the writer of Proverbs, Solomon himself, gives us these four principles so that we can communicate, so that we can get to know each other, so that we can enjoy relationships, and so that we can see those relationships grow. I love God's Word and the way He speaks to us in every way, but I also love it when He shows us how practical His Word can be for our lives. And I pray that this week, that these principles are evidenced in our relationships at work, at home, in the church's life, in our relationship with him, that we will see these principles applied.